Hey, if you're enjoying this show, uh, consider supporting us on our Patreon. You can get cool perks like access to these episodes a week before they go public, and you can pick an album for us to review. Any support is greatly appreciated, so if you feel inclined, go to patreon.com slash polyphonicpress. listening to polyphonic press a podcast for music lovers join your hosts jeremy boyd and john van dyke as they take a deep dive into a classic album and analyze it track by track hey welcome to polyphonic press i'm jeremy boyd i'm john van dyke and uh let's hit the button and see what album we're going to be listening to this week so we're going to be listening to arcade fire and their album funeral Mm-hmm. So I'm actually not that familiar with Arcade Fire. I know a couple of their songs. I know a few of their songs that are on, um, that are played on the radio. Yeah, um, I know my sister's at has this album somewhere, so I've I've heard bits of it, if if not all of it, at some point. But I haven't paid that close attention to it. Yeah. Okay, so Funeral. Uh, is the debut studio album by Canadian indie rock band Arcade Fire, released on September 14th, 2004 by Merge Records. Um, the album produced five singles with Rebellion and Lies in brackets. Uh, I guess that's their biggest hit, Rebellion. I think I know that song. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it looks like this is a bit of a concept album because um, there's... A few tracks on here that, uh, or the the first part of it is, uh, I guess it's one song. I'm I'm not really sure. It's one song divided into three parts. It's neighborhood number one, neighborhood number two, neighborhood number three, neighborhood number four. So four parts. That's pretty interesting. Um, and it's self-produced, so there's no uh, producer on it. I'm actually. Uh, curious about this okay so let's hear the first song which is uh, neighborhood number one an alternate title tunnels all right so that was interesting mm-hmm. um it's it was busy there was a lot going on, but I think it it, uh, it it filled out the sound really well. I think. Yeah, I I thought it was interesting. Like uh, you've got the main hook played by a piano, but there's another piano very very just faintly in the background doing this like I don't know uh, tinkling just like constantly in the background for this, and it just sort of adds the atmosphere that they want in the back there. I thought that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. The the one thing I didn't like about it, and I don't know if that's just because for the past little while we've been um, listening to albums that came out, you know, before the 1990s, but it, f- it feels like this was mixed in a way where everything was being pushed to the max. It didn't feel like there was... It, it didn't feel like there was um it felt like every instrument was kind of maxed out 
sort of fighting for attention there. Yeah. Yeah. I think with the exception of that one piano on the back, which was way down in the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a lot of things did seem to be up there. It really, it wasn't the worst thing. Um, no. I don't think it really suffered from it, but I do do notice what you're talking about. And yeah, that is a, I mean, yeah, since 1990, everything, oh, excuse me, um, been kind of like that. Oh. Yeah. It's, um, it's just the loudness war and, and, yeah. um, that, and it's just the way it's been mastered. But, um, it, it, it was a bit of an adjustment because, like I said, we, for the past, you know, several weeks, we've been listening to albums that came out before the 90s. And now this one is like right in the middle of the, uh, I don't know, it's 2004, but it's right in the middle of the, uh, the loudness war before. I think it started to ease off around 2010, around there. And I think yeah. now things are mixed a little bit more. Um, They've gone back more, to some dynamics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I did notice that in this, um, the the guitar part, I mean, doesn't it's it's really not an obvious thing, but but you can sort of hear it's like this sort of like distorted and again it, it mostly sort of plays the same hook in places where the piano's not playing it. But it's it sounds like it's got this uh I don't know, um it sounds like it's in the background, but I think that's like a reverb effect. But mm-hmm. it's also not particularly loud in the mix, too, so I'll give them bonuses for that. But yeah, the drums and the bass in the background are just way up front with the main piano lick and, and, yeah. and the vocals. Yeah. I don't know if that was an obvious choice or just because that's what uh, production was doing at the time. I don't know. I don't know. I Well, I... It, it could have been just like the, it was the trend at the time, and because this 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 is the start of um, this is sort of the tail end. Remember, in like two thousand three, you had the garage rock revival, yeah, and that was considered the indie rock. Yep. And then a little bit after that, indie rock sort of became its own genre, and it yeah. became this kind of stuff. This like um, not that the, I'm saying the collaboratives. And stuff yeah. like that, where you had, uh, well, these guys, yeah, and it was, Canadians really um, led the way on that with, like, Arcade Fire and, and the New Pornographers and other bands like that. And, and of course, uh, the Great Lake or Broken Social Scene and the yeah. Great Lake Swimmers and stuff like that, where they were really the, uh, and I think all four of them are Canadian. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. And yeah, most of them are like collectives of musicians who had other projects and stuff like that. And and it was almost impossible to get <laughs> the full lineup on a tour yeah. at any given time. And But at some t- times that was sort of like a, a blessing because there was always some other musician who was part of the collective who could step in to do something if one other member couldn't. So yeah. they could be like consistently on tour or, you know, as close to as possible while other bands attached to them are also doing other things at the time. So I think it was almost like a, uh, it was like a creative decision, but it was also like an economical decision yeah, in, in some way. Although I'd imagine it was really expensive for, uh, d- divvying up royalties. <laughs> yeah, it would be. Yeah. Not, not exactly a, a get rich quick. No. Thing. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. I uh I kind of miss those days. Mm. But uh moving on to uh the second one. This is uh, neighborhood number 2. Uh alternate title is Leica. I think that's how you say it. Yep. Leica was the name of the uh the, the dog the first dog in space. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, I didn't know Arcade Fire could rock. Yeah, I, I did, because <laughs> I have heard this before. Yeah. So. Um, uh, no, I like that. Yeah, um, it was pretty fun. And again, but... The, the, yeah. Sometimes the, the lyrics can be a little unintelligible with the effect on it, but it, it it's a neat effect, but sometimes it yeah, helps having the lyric sheet in front of you. <laughs> yeah, it's like a distortion almost, yeah. or... Uh, and they kind of singing through an old bullet mic or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. And I, I, it's weird. I like the, uh, I'm liking the drums in this. It's the drummer isn't, is sort of using the, the Tom Toms in place of the, uh, the hi hat. Yeah. And it gives the drums this, boomy sort of sound and uh yeah i thought that was that was interesting um i don't get the sense that this song was recorded live i get the sense that it was sort of built up and overdubbed um could have been yeah um yeah, I think it probably was. Um, again, this is—it's a collaborative, and they might not have even been all at the same in the same studio. Um, it could have been whoever was available that day come and do their part, or email me your part, or you know something like that. Yeah, um, here's the track. Email the part. Come come back. We'll stick it in uh, uh, Pro Tools, and here's what we got. Yeah. Because uh, this is the debut album, so they probably had no idea this was even going to go anywhere uh, at this point. Well, no. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, and it's just one of those things that goes, yeah, I don't know, let's just let's just do what we're going to do. It might have even been sort of one of the very trendsets. This is like 2004. This is like right after bands like, uh, you know, the height of uh you know the white stripes and the black keys and so, well actually the black keys got their most famous later on but they were doing stuff at this period but they were yeah. kind of underground still at this point but uh that garage rock thing like uh the vines and the highs and stuff like that 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 real push um the peak was 2003 and then this album came out and it kind of changed the focus at that time so yeah um, and then you had bands that you had all the the arcade fire copycats like uh of course um i don't want to name any names but uh you know the, there were there were i and i'm not what i'm not saying, rhyme with <laughs> uh um sheet boxes uh <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> uh 
No, I no, I I, I don't have anything against Fleet Foxes, but it, and I'm not saying that they copied Arcade Fire or not, but there, it was. Uh, but a lot, I think the record companies uh, set out to sign bands that sounded like them. Yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, because they saw the trend. Well, I don't think they saw the trend. I think they created the trend because we all know how yeah. much control a record It becomes a trend have. when they find a band that sounds like something and then they expect everybody else to do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's been going on since the beginning since of the Since the record companies had control over such things, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh. So let's uh, go on to the next one, which is a French title. It's called "In Anne Sans Lumière," which roughly translates to the "My night Dog Has Arthritis." It's the, no, the it night of the light. It's yeah, the night. No, uh, one one. No, one uh, year I, of li- of one year, one year without, without lights. Light. Yes. Wow, I was way off for some <laughs> reason. I can read uh, French. I honestly can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> All right, here we go. So that was a lot more stripped down than I yep. was expecting. Um, yeah, and but it, I, I kind of it looks it, it just. I th- I think these guys know they know what they're doing and it it this doesn't feel like a debut album in the sense that they'll take a song like this and they'll recognize that okay we have all these instruments but this song we don't need to use them all we mm-hmm. need is a bass a guitar bass and drums and a keyboard and and vocals and that's all we need for this song and whereas a lot of bands, and it, it not only that, but this album is self-produced. So mm-hmm. a lot of bands would maybe, if they're working with a producer for the first time, would have all these crazy ideas and, um, you know, put on all the instruments that we have and everything on every song. And a producer would go, oh, oh wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's just focus and take each song uh one at a time um so it's it's i'm impressed that these guys have the um the the maturity to recognize the restraint the restraint and Mm -hmm. to to go okay well we we can have a like a grand epic song with all these instruments but we don't have to do that every time Mm mm-hmm um, so I, I'm kind of, uh, kind of blown away by that. The, the fact that this album is self-produced and, and they didn't well just bog everything down with, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's self-produced, well-produced and it's their debut album. Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. I, I don't have a lot extra to, to say on that. Um, I am noticing, uh, it was stripped down. So the fact and and everything was still basically front and center. There wasn't a whole lot of um, difference between, you know, the levels and stuff like that. But again, it was so stripped down, it was not necessary to do anything like that. Right. Um, everything fit nicely at the front. 
So, uh, yeah, that's basically all I have to say on that one. It's a, it's a decent song. Um, yeah, it was interesting how they were, uh, decided to do like, uh, a French English sort of cross thing. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, they're from Montreal, so that, that does make sense that they would Mm -hmm. add in a little bit of French in there. Um, but the other thing that's interesting in the, the the song that's coming up is how this album is structured. Yeah. So you have the first two tracks, which are part of the Neighborhood series, I guess. And then it deviates from that. And then it goes back to the next two tracks. So, which are also um, Neighborhood 3 and 4. Yeah. Neighborhood um, 3 and 4, yeah. It's, it's almost like a concept album. Um, yeah. I mean, it might be a concept album. Uh, I haven't really paid that close attention going through it, but it seems that uh, there's a there's a theme going through it. Um, yeah. Um, so I notice a lot of um, things. Uh, it seems the, a carrying theme seems to be like a, sort of a nostalgia for youth, maybe. Um, I yeah. mean, with the attracts neighborhood and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. um, I'm no, I'm noticing a lot of that so far. Yeah. Yeah. I do too. Just kind of looking back and well, the, the song Leica, um, that was kind of a, about the Russian dog, I think. Could have been, I think there's um, like, it's one of those songs where it's got like multiple layers within the meaning and, and, and stuff like that where, Really, you could put your own meaning to it as well. Yeah, um, yeah, that's true. Um, but let's get back into the neighborhood. Yep. Uh, <laughs> with neighborhood number three, and an alternate title for that is Power Out. So that was a lot more uh, synth heavy. Um, that kind of reminded me of like Nine Inch Nails or uh, maybe Depeche Mode or something like that. I heard a lot of U2 in that one. Actually. A lot of U2 as well, yep. Yeah. That but does, it just, was a lot more string heavy. There's a lot more guitars and basses going on in it. Yeah, but I'm just thinking like it's in a minor key, so it has that oh, darker yeah. sort of almost gothic sound to it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I sort of hear like, yeah, that's sort of like industrial Nine Inch Nails sort of thing going on. In it. Yeah. But I did hear, I mean, some some of U2's stuff, like when we go back to the other album we were listening to, uh, yeah, they could sometimes, uh, sometimes they had like pretty dark subject matter sometimes in their, in their songs mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and the music reflected it as well. And uh, yeah, but, but U2 also has this tendency to have a little bit more of an uplifting sort of sound to them, whereas this was definitely more of a, a darker thing going on. Yeah, with with you two, I think it sounds it, it's sort of like the um, the lyrics and the melody, or, or the the lyrics and the, the music are sort of um, counteracting each other. So you'll mm-hmm. have like like dark lyrics with a uh, in a major key or yeah. something like that. Whereas I think these with this, it's it's sort of like um, dark lyrics and also in a minor key, which kind of. Yeah, it gives gave it that. that gothic sort of sound to it. 
Yeah. But um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, they're they're not exactly, they're not doing, uh, they're not copying one or the other. They're doing their own thing. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's adding the guitars in there and everything, um, which uh, you wouldn't necessarily hear in Nine Inch Nails. They're there, but they're not. You know, they're not those the clean sort of yeah um, guitar tones that you heard on this. Somewhat clean. It was. It was somewhat sort of, clean. It was. It was like a a dirty dark guitar tone, but I don't think it's because they put anything on it. I think that's just the guitar they used. I'm yeah. not sure what it is, but it had this real dark twang to it, or something like that. It might have been like an old harmony or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I like the song. I thought it was. Yeah. Um, I I think this one might have been a hit. I'm not sure. That's. Um, Maybe it's just because I heard it. Well, all, all the uh, all the neighborhood, um, the the whole neighborhood songs series was were were was were released uh, as were singles. Oh wow! Okay. Oh, so I maybe. don't know if they were big hits, but they were released as singles. But I think I heard um, them on the radio. I know I heard them around the house quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm pretty sure I heard them on the radio. Yeah, yeah they probably probably would have been. Well, I mean, if they were released as singles, they probably would have been played on the radio at some point. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, moving on to the next one, we've got uh, Neighborhood Number 4, or uh, out of the... This is the last of the uh, the Neighborhood series. Far from and the last of the tracks on the album. Though. For, far from the... Uh, yeah. And... Um, it's called Neighborhood Number Four, and the alternate title for that is Seven Kettles. Time keeps creeping through the neighborhood, killing old folks, waking up babies. So I like that the acoustic guitar was sort of front and center in that. And all the instruments were creating these textures, and mm-hmm. you, they, they weren't very distinct. You could hear what they were, like the, you, know, you could hear the accordion in there and things like yeah, that. Yeah, but they weren't but, shouting for attention. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, it was just like an atmosphere for the guitar line, which almost sounded like a, a child's play, sort of a, like almost like a, a kid song sort of thing to like sort of... Uh, drift through or something like that and that sort of created this interesting um uh juxtaposition between these two moods where um everything else going on in the background is very moody but the guitar line is almost uh naive sounding kind of mm-hmm. going through it's kind of neat um yeah and then the lyrics of course are um uh, talking about you know um he 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 mentions like uh, the idea of of having kids or, uh, um, you know. He hasn't got any kids, but he plans on it, and and I think his he's a little bit. Uh, he's talking about how he's not sure he, the the world is a place where he wants to raise them. Yeah, um, that sort of came came about in in a few sections. Um, yeah, it's sort of like the um, 
that I never thought of that, but, but until you mentioned it. But uh, yeah, it's almost like the guitar is the child, and the the sort of the other textures is sort of like the dark cloud of mm-hmm. how the world really is, and how the 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 child is sort of opening up and and sort of sort of uh, sort of blind to the real world but it's still there yeah it's um, it's a it's a it's a looming presence whether the the kid's aware of it or not or some, some sort of thing i don't know that is quite a that's that that's our that's my sort of take on 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 the song anyway uh, i guess it's yours as well um I thought it was very interesting. All the, the, the orchestration, which, I mean, this is not, they didn't hire an orchestra. The, these are the musicians they know coming yep. in to do stuff. And, and that's where it really pays to know a lot of different musicians from a lot of different uh, musical backgrounds and, mm-hmm. and who can play a lot of different instruments. <laughs> so, One of the, the, the visuals that I get, uh, especially in the beginning when it's, um the the I don't know if it was the strings, but it was this like a uh, screeching sort of sound a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I think that was that was a, a fiddle or a violin, I guess. Yeah. Um it, it's uh, the image that I got in my head was sort of uh swings on a playground. Mm. Um I don't know if that's what they were going for, but that's kind of the image that I got. Um, it could have been like, uh, yeah, it could be sort of like a um, a childlike uh, nod again with, with like sort of like the swing thing. I don't know if this is intentional or not, but it could also be sort of like that uh, screeching, uh, screeching, uh, you know, horror movie trope of uh, either like, you know, where squeaking door hinges or, you know, a squeaking swing set. In like this real desolate sort of yeah. park sort of thing, but, but um, I didn't get a, a haunting feeling from it. I got of um, like it was like a joyful like mm. swinging, although it was slow. It wasn't like a um, no, but it, it played with the uh, the other atmospheres going on in the background. Yeah. So I'm not sure. I mean, it could have been, but yeah, Who it's knows? hard to say. Yeah, it could go either uh, way. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. And maybe that's intentional. Maybe it's yep. the the uh, um, ambiguity of it all. Ambiguity and the unsure yep. way of yeah. Um. So the next song we're getting out of the neighborhood series and into. Well, I'm sure all the the rest of the songs play into the overall theme of the album too. But uh, the next song is called "Crown of Love." So I think that might be my favorite song on the album so far. I was thinking the same thing. That was that was a really good lesson. I'm not normally one for ballads because most of them are really like uh, syrupy. That was a good lesson on how to write a write a really good ballad. It's got like this 50s, 60s almost structure to it. Um, but it and 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 it was chalk chalk a block full of emotion, but it wasn't sickly, sappy, sort of which a lot of them can be. This actually had uh, 
I don't know. Again, the darker undertones that give it this, you know, weight to it. Um, yeah, that was a great song. Yeah. Well, here, here's this is how I kind of see it. I think this song is telling the story of a, a relationship, a romantic yeah. relationship from beginning to end. And here's why I think that. I think the the first part is like. Um, like you said, kind of sweet and kind of sappy, but not really. It's it's the honeymoon phase of the relationship yeah. when you're, you know, you're really into each other, and then all of a sudden there's a change. Um, and the not only the tempo, but the 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 mood changes. Like the the first part, it was uh, played with a bit of a swing and that kind of fifties sort of feel. Yeah. And then it goes into just a straight feel. Um, and it's the strings in that were, were really the ones that were telling the story because mm. in the first part, the strings were really nice and mellow. And then in the second part is they were very chaotic and very tense and full of anger and hurt and, but and I think it's the fade out was deliberate because it's just when you when you break up with something someone you have that feeling and then over time it just kind of slowly starts to go away and you kind of let go of it. That's the image that I get from it. Hmm. I yeah, could mo- be totally wrong. I, but, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it, it's sort of interesting. Like uh, most of the song was like the ballad, and then, and then it mm-hmm. turned into like that sort of rocking, up tempo thing when it sort of decides to go out. It was just sort of like, I mean, you might be right, but I was sort of thinking of it. Uh, um, I would, I would think that you would do that like through the different like, um, uh through the different verses of the song or something like that, where each verse was like a different um, portion of the, of the relationship, whether they're, they're singing about that or not, but something would sort of like, you know, carry those moods through it. But it seemed like most of the song was, you know, honeymoon phase. And then, and then the rocking part, it's, 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 it's really, I don't know if it was uh it's part of the song, but it's not like part of the structure, like the mm-hmm. the meat of the song. The meat of the song is like this ballad. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I I think that was just like an outro. I think it was more of like a musical decision to do that more than a, a, a storytelling. I don't know. But, yeah, that's uh, possible. Either either way, it was a really really good song. It was really a good song. Really well put together. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and. So and and I always liked um or I always like string sections that are really present in the song. Mm-hmm. Um there's a a song by uh what's that band called? Uh No Noah and the Whale. There's okay. a song called um The Heart of Nowhere where the, the main instrument is or the main uh it the is main... instruments is yes. a string section. Um, and it's one of my favorite songs, so that's cool. I always like that. Yeah, um, yeah, it can it can sometimes go either way. Like sometimes a string section just sounds like uh, a production decision that's like made to sort of like 
I don't know. Um, appeal to the, uh, I don't know. It, 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 it trying to make it, uh, like not in this case. This is, I mean, the instrumentation again. This is, this is they are part of the co collaborative. These are musicians. They know they're part of the band. They yeah. uh, came and do their, uh, you know, the the parts that you know. Whether they wrote them or not, I don't know. But anyway, they're part of that uh, creative process. Um, I find sometimes when you take a, an orchestration and you sort of tack it on, I mean, it's kind of like uh, the Beatles' Let It Be album where they never meant to have that orchestration in there, but Phil Spector took it upon himself to throw it in there mm -hmm. and sort of almost appeal to the, the bass that buys albums that wind up in, you know, value village record sections and <laughs> no one ever wants um yeah. uh and that's not to say that a, str a nice string arrangement yeah exactly work. like like on the the aretha franklin album absolutely the, the strings no. worked really well they, on that. they can be like again they can be really uh like a, a deliberate i've heard them used um in really uh really wonderful places but yeah sometimes it's like an overproduction thing where it's just well, this sounds like a departure, like, like the, uh, the musician, the, the, the main musician, the main idea is so buried in, um, you know, orchestration and other things like that, where it just kind of feels, it actually, uh, kind of drains it of its original message and, and emotions and sort of stuff. Um, yeah. you, you can go either way. Um, but yeah, no, the, it fit perfectly with that track. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um Yeah, that's that has a, a strong contender to be my my favorite yeah. song on So the far, record. I think it's my favorite. So far. Yeah. Um so the next track moving on to uh the next one is called Wake Up. So that kind of bookended the previous song, um, mm -hmm. with the the previous one starting out with the '50s sort of feel, and the this one kind of ending with that kind of thing. Yeah, and I wonder if that was deliberate. I don't know. Um, I always felt like uh, like that song to me. Always for some reason when I first heard it come on i remember the song but i i thought uh somehow i remembered it being like an intro song or something to like the album or something like that it was like unless it's like maybe it's like the second side or something like that but i, I don't know um well this this was this was released as a single so you might have heard it on the radio too yeah this might have been in the other um was it maybe I don't know. They didn't, they didn't release singles quite the same way um, because they don't have to send out 45. I was thinking, was it like a flip side to the other, to, to one of the neighborhoods, or was one of the neighborhoods a flip side to that, or I don't know. I don't know. But they didn't really do that. Although you could no. still buy a single of some of these things. Yes. This was the period where vinyl was making its resurgence. Yeah. I'm, it, yeah. Um, 
but I, I I like that song. Um, yep, and I can see why it was would be released as a single. Definitely works that mm-hmm. as a radio song. I like how the uh, the 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 guitar hook is so simple but effective. It's mm-hmm. one chord played, and then until it goes to another bar, and then it changes the chord. But it all is. And it's just the one chord, but it's yeah. so effective. It doesn't need to be anything more than that. It's all in the rhythm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's why, I mean, that's why, uh, that's why Bo Diddley works. So exactly. Well. It's a, he can just play one chord, but it's all in that, in the rhythm. Or John Lee uh, Hooker or, um, oh, I'm trying to think of some of those other, um, Delta Blues guys like uh, R.L. Burnside or somebody, they, they sort of do the same sort of thing. They pick a chord and they sort of go, oh, I, for, I forget, it was either R.L. Burnside or, uh, uh, I don't know, one of those guys was saying, it's just like, how come all your songs, you only use uh, like one chord? It's just like, well, I don't know, I this, another chord, that's another song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think he was partly joking. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you, you, it, it's, it's amazing how, how effective simplicity really is. Yeah. Um, it, it's not at all complicated to play, although you have to have a, a certain sense of rhythm to play it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, there's nothing complicated and it doesn't need to be anything more complicated. Well, I mean, that's the old saying for rock and roll. All you need is three chords and the truth. Yep, and yeah. the truth is the most important part of it. Yeah, it's the most important part than the three chords. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, I mean, it can get very elaborate, and that's fun, but yeah, you don't need all that. Nope. Um. So, uh, we have three songs left, and uh, the next one is called Haiti. So maybe it's because we just listened to it and it's fresh in my mind, but I think that song could easily fit on the T-Rex album. Huh. Interesting. Hmm. I uh, I it's, think that's an maybe interesting... it's the acoustic guitar and the same chord changes that Mark Boland would use. Maybe. I... That that's not what hit me at all when I was listening to that. Um, I I'm not saying you're wrong. I think that's a very interesting take. Um, I might have to listen to it for that again, but yeah, I'm not hearing it yet. Um, okay, but that's uh, yeah, that's sort of interesting. Um, yeah, the song is clearly uh, well, it's clearly about Haiti. Um. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, that poor country cannot catch a break. It's as relevant now as it is as it was then. This was obviously after that major, major, major uh, earthquake hit them. I mean, yep. they'd just been hit by another earthquake, and their president was assassinated, and and there's like a huge amount of uh, refugees trying to get into the states, and yada, yada yeah. It's just, man. I mean, it's just right in the line of fire for just you know 
it's it's like geo- geographically it's like the worst place to be um yeah as far as uh you know any upcoming like sea rises i don't even think they want to think about that yet they got enough problems on their plate yeah yeah it's but you uh, really get that uh that that feeling especially with the sirens in there where they're mm-hmm. this must have been like right after that major earthquake where they're their capital building was like it looked like a big abandoned it looked like you know ruins of some ancient civilization it was really crazy yeah yeah i remember that yeah. um yeah that that must have been around this time 2004 mhm yeah um yeah i uh it's it's a good song. Um yep. Yeah, I don't I don't have much more to say about it. Um Yeah, and it, it just uh, just the, that 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 hit me that that it, it it sounded like the the T-Rex. Um and yeah, obviously about the the that earthquake that happened. I I'm, I'm curious what year that actually was. I'm assuming you're looking it up. Yeah. Um, well, there's been a lot of them. <laughs> yes. Like I said, they can't catch a break. Yeah. Uh, there was one this year, actually. Yes, there was. That's what I was saying. They've just been hit yeah. by another one. There was one in 2010. Yeah. Uh, but the, I, the really does... massive one was around this time, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah. We're basically the entire country was shaken. It was quite pretty, devastating, and I don't scary. think they've ever really recovered from that. And the current country wasn't exactly rich to begin with. No. Um, well, I mean, how could you recover from something like that that devastates your whole country? I mean, where do you even begin to rebuild? Well, they were trying to rebuild, but again, um, and financially but they, they, got, they got huge hit. Yeah. Again, I think the, there was still a lot of infrastructure damage from that, whereas mm-hmm. a, a richer country would have rebuilt by now. Yeah, um, I mean, fifteen plus years later. But yeah, um, oh, I know. But they keep also get slammed with more and more and more. And how can mm-hmm. you keep up when that keeps happening? Exactly. They're just in, like I said, geographically, they're just poorly located, mm-hmm. and I don't. And and a lot of this is like recent, um, you know, changes in the climate that create these problems. I mean, I could go, <laughs> we could go political here, but yeah, that's not what the podcast is about, <laughs> right? But because but, it's the song, that's what we. Yeah, exactly. It yeah. it is kind of it ties into that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, moving on. Um. This song, Rebellion, alternate title, Lies, is probably the biggest hit that uh, Arcade Fire have had. This is the song that broke them mm. into the mainstream. So, uh, and I've, I haven't heard this song in a while, so it'll be interesting to hear this one again. Yeah. So, here we go.
That's such a good song. That's a really good song too. Another really one that stays relevant um, through the days, through the years. Yeah. Once you know what's uh, was what I was thinking about when I was listening to that is so. Maybe it's uh, it's an independent record thing, but first of all, this is this was the fourth single released from the album, Mm -hmm. and it's the biggest hit that that Arcade Fire had. Yeah, it's also the second last song on the album. Yeah, it's which is like that never you you don't hear about that usually. That's that's a very unusual placement for a number one hit. For, yeah. Well, you know, uh, number one for the band hit, for a hit in general, doesn't yeah. usually come that late in an album. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's um, the record company just saying, because usually a record company might, I don't, I can't say for sure, but they might uh, say, you know, they would, they would need a hit within the first couple of songs on the mm-hmm. album. And so if you're an artist trying to, you know, sequence the album and figure out, you know, which order the songs are going to be in, knowing that going in, you would have to sort of uh, place the, you, what you think is the best song towards the, the beginning of the album. Yeah. But, they didn't do that. They had a concept in mind and they wanted to tell this story with the first side of the album. Yep. And, um, and the record company said, okay, um, yeah, whatever you guys want to do. Uh, well, they were, it was, it was independently released. So, well, it was, it was on an independent label. Like they, they were signed to like, it's, there is, uh, it's not, is this releasing the album? It's uh, Merge Records. Oh, Merge Records. Okay, I think Arts um, and Crafts came along later. Well, Merge Records in the states, um, and then Rough Trade in the UK. I don't know. Um, Merge Record. They must have signed to an American independent uh, company. Yeah. Um, but uh, but that's just the the uh, that's the difference between a major label and an independent label. Absolutely. Where uh, an independent label will support the artist and um, just say, okay, yeah, you, would, you guys know your music better than better we than do. we do. <laughs> so you guys do what you're going to do and we'll help you along in any way we can. Whereas uh, a major label will try to see where the, 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 the record is going to make money. And um, if they don't hear a hit single within the first few songs, they'll they won't they'll actually choose not to promote the album, and it'll tank, and then they'll drop the artist from yeah the label. I mean that's an extreme example, but that's the sort of the sequence of exi- of events that you know typically happens. I mean that's a very common story. Yeah, it, it's sort um, of it's sort of sad because honestly, I think every re- every release that comp that a, that a record album or a record uh, company puts out, they should promote at least to some degree every record that comes across their their thing because it, it shouldn't be their decision what survives and or and what doesn't it's i mean it should let them go out there people will latch on to the one that they want to listen to one will surface to the top i don't understand why they feel like they have to be 
you know, they have to pull the levers on this sort of thing. I mean, back in, well, when the labels were first starting, they basically were throwing whatever at the wall and seeing whatever stuck. And honestly, they should still be doing that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's what the independent lab- labels do. That They just go, okay, cool. There's another album. We've got like 700 here that we're putting out here. And yeah. uh, these guys are going really well. And uh, these guys are doing really well. These guys are really good, but they're still very underground. But we're, we're hanging on to them because they're really good. Yeah. Um, that sort of thing. Yep. It's... Uh... The record the record industry is a weird business. Yes, it is. It doesn't run like any other business. It's it's fun. It's, it's, the art, uh, the industry around art, and it doesn't matter what kind of art, uh, is is totally corrupt and totally uh, um, takes advantage of the artist completely because the artist is is a type of personality that they just want to do their art. They're not necessarily the, you know, the right brain or I mean the left brain sort of, um, you know, business minded, technical sort of thing. Very few artists can are very all that competent in that um, in in those sorts of affairs. And uh, the people around them, unfortunately, it seems to be the trend. I mean, not everybody is this and I'm not saying every left brain sort of mathy kind of person is going to be like this but unfortunately in the industry is built up of you know the artists who create the 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 content and then the uh um the other individuals who are the more business savvy who have a tendency to take advantage of these people because they know they can yeah and it's it's really sad um yeah but yeah, uh, designers have the same problem. Uh, yeah, and, and any sort of like you know illustrators and things like that. How many times do people say, "Oh, well, your job is fun, therefore why why should I pay you?" Right. Um, and they get caught up into these uh, situations where well, they're trying to just get a basic paycheck pay, uh, paycheck for art that they've already done. Yeah. So well, and, and the the film industry too is, is film industry so same way. bad. I mean, how many over the last decade there's been so many remakes and and sequels to old movies that came out like twenty years ago. Well, I know, or, or or more, simply because the studios know that they can make money on those. Exactly, they can make, bank on nostalgia. Where's the next Martin Scorsese? Or um, they're who, out there, but you know, again, they they're got out a there. Slog. But they're not—they're not going to have their money, have their movies uh, widely released. And then this isn't even touching on the fact that that uh, the actors and actresses and 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 other, you know, even costume people and stuff like that—they're all getting the shaft half the time too. I mean, yep. it took a really long time before. I mean, as annoying as sitting through credits is sometimes. If you go back to like uh, the. Uh, Oh, uh, what they call the golden age of cinema back in the black and white days where there wasn't an inch of gold on the screen. Just saying. Um, <laughs> uh, it was all silver, sorry. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, where the only credits were generally the producer, the director, and then just the top, I don't know, seven cast members. 
who yep. were the people that you know got were in, considered important enough to have to be listed and there and that was usually at the beginning of the movie there was no There's credit no list credits. at the end of the movie half the time no. anyway sometimes there was but generally you know fade out the end people march out of the theater that's the end that's that's it that's all she wrote and, and yeah. these other people didn't even weren't acknowledged at all so that's why yeah. you have such a long list of of credits is because people fought for those um yeah. and it's it's not and it's not just about um getting acknowledgement it's not yeah. just seeing your name on the screen it's about getting paid it's about if getting you, paid if you don't get a credit on on a movie you don't get paid exactly and that's uh and, and yeah it's it's a legal contract is what it is that's yeah. signing your name to the movie that's your signature on there yeah. um yeah it's important um yeah. what was i also going to go with this oh i was also going to mention how the song when it started up sounded it's another track that really reminded me of U2. Yeah. When it started up. Um, so U2 is clearly a, um, an influence a, on this band. An influence on this band, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, um, that that note after our rant about artists. Just <laughs> out there. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we have arrived at the final track on the album, the 10th track, mm-hmm. which I, I think 10... Ten songs is a perfect number of songs for an album. Um, not really. I don't care. And yeah, <laughs> it, it really demands. Some 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 albums are longer and they can keep your attention, and other ones have only a few. Like, good grief! Most uh, prog albums had like seven songs, but you know, some of them are like twenty minutes long and something like that. But they can. But again, with only the seven tracks, they can keep your attention. At least yeah. in the early days of Prague, some of the later ones, I don't know what you guys are doing anymore. But uh, yeah, yeah. But no, so ten is a pretty good average length on list. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's go. Okay, so the uh, the tenth song is called "In the Back Seat." a little more psychedelic on the the last track there yep i like I think it that. was a french horn i heard there at the end yeah that was pretty cool it um it reminded me of something that could have been on like sergeant pepper or something yeah, exactly like that. Like, yeah the instruments and some of the chord changes yeah i, I also thought it was interesting how they sort of played with the uh time signature of it well the time signature was like definitely a four four going through it but at some point they would just cut off one bar and launch right you know after three and then go right back into four yeah um yeah very interesting track very interesting album um i never had paid too much attention to arcade fire and um because i think by that point i was still into the garage rock bands. Yeah. I wasn't... Me um, too. I wasn't ready for that uh, trend to die out yet. I was still waiting for the next White Stripes album to come around the corner or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I was in the same boat. Um, but... 
Yeah, I'm. I'm glad. Uh, I, I'm. It, it's funny because I remember hearing some of the songs, especially the um, Rebellion. Yeah, I remember hearing it on the radio and watching it on Much Music and and things like that. And uh, so it's it, it is bringing back a little bit of nostalgia in that sense, just because I remember hearing these songs. Mm-hmm. But I never paid that much. I, like I never paid close attention to yeah. to Arcade Fire, and um, for me, are, I'm just I'm having a hard time, you know, believing that this was as long ago as it was. It really doesn't seem that long ago to me. But yeah, fifteen yeah. years, holy crap! Seventeen years, yeah, seventeen years. Yes, you're right. Yeah, it's even longer than you think yeah. it is. Um, yeah, I mean it. It, but it, the thing is, it doesn't um doesn't sound dated. No, it doesn't. Um, I I find a lot of uh, maybe maybe it's I I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because I I kind of stopped paying too much attention to a lot of new music. But um, a lot of the music from like two thousand five onward, there didn't seem to be that much. Um. I'm not, I'm not saying that it all sounds the same, but I'm just saying that there's not, there wasn't as much of a shift as there was like, let's say from, um, like from the eighties to the nineties. Oh yeah. That was a huge shift, like a complete change. Yep. There didn't seem to be that big of a change and maybe well, it was more gradual and I just didn't notice, but it, there wasn't that big of a change between like, like 2008 to 2014 or something like that Mm. yeah and maybe that's just because i was older and i wasn't paying that close attention to newer music yeah for whatever reason i mean i'm hoping there's some stuff in this i kind of felt the same way it was hard to really latch on to something um at that period a lot of it was just seemed to be over my head i'm hoping something in this list or this uh, pile of lists that we've compiled into this random generator is gonna, you know, show me something a little bit different. And this album, I mean, some of these uh, collaborative bands, like, I've always liked the new pornographers. I always thought they were quite good, uh, mm-hmm. quite excellent. Um, But yeah, the some of that stuff really kind of was a little bit lost on me at the time as well and uh you know i had friends that played music much like this you know in this genre mm-hmm. um and yeah, i'd go out and, and i'd support them and and uh yeah there's lots of good stuff for there and yeah i remember that only being uh geez i guess that was about a decade ago too um the one i was the one show i was at in particular yeah uh yeah it, it's just, I don't know, too much time is going by too quickly. <laughs> that's yeah. that's what happens. You get Time goes by quick, quicker and quicker, and then you die. Lovely. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just, uh, again, it's, it's going through these albums. These are, uh, I guess, other than Led Zeppelin, these are, uh, all the artists are artists that I know and have heard a lot from, but never paid that close attention to. Yeah. And, um, I'm kind of glad that we're doing this because it's, it's opening me up to a lot of artists that I otherwise wouldn't have 
not that i not that i wouldn't have heard but i wouldn't have taken the time to appreciate and listen to yeah no i'm kind of in the same boat i i i like doing this it's kind of fun yeah um so yeah on that happy note i guess we'll end things there um thank you i just want to say thank you to anybody who has listened to these these uh uh last episodes we have um almost not quite maybe a little more than 25 years worth of episodes to do so this is <laughs> literally just the beginning um there's over al- almost 1300 albums that we we have to go through yeah, we'll, so we'll um, see if we'll even make it through all of them well uh, yeah. that's that's a whew, that's a commitment yeah um uh but uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you. If you want to support the show, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash Polyphonic Press. You can donate a, a little something there. And you can, um, if you want to drop us a line, you can send us an email at polyphonicpressmusic at gmail.com. And check out the website polyphonicpress.com. And uh, if you are listening to this on Apple iTunes, you can leave a five-star rating and leave a little review because it helps out, helps people discover the show. And, um, yeah, that's about it. Uh, unless you had anything else you wanted to say. No, um, I'll, I'll just say, uh, yeah. Inter any interaction with the, the bat podcast on, uh, whatever, uh, uh, platform you're listening on, uh, is, is probably gonna help really. <laughs> I think, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes even negative stuff will will actually help in the algorithms yeah. and stuff like well, that. Well, actually, that's that's actually that brings up a good point because don't be afraid to give some constructive criticism because we want to hear feedback about things that we could improve, improve or um, like just we want to know what you think about the albums, the what we talk about. Um, we just we want to hear from you, so uh, don't don't be afraid to drop us a line. Um, but yeah. That's uh, about it for this episode. Um, I'm Jeremy Boyd. And I'm John Van Dyke. Take it easy. You have been listening to Polyphonic Press. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Polyphonic Press. Check out the website, polyphonicpress.com. Feel free to drop us a line at polyphonicpressmusic at gmail.com. And finally, you can support the show by heading over to patreon.com slash polyphonicpress. 